welcome to Two Sober Chicks. I'm Lisa of Julian Lisa, and this is our podcast on speakers. Welcome to a speaker series edition of Two Sober Chicks. Colleen Kay from Kentucky. Yay! <laughs> uh, I was um, I was a fear-filled kid. Um, I that's my uh, family nickname was Worrywart. Uh, because I was just all, you know, I came out, I fear, I read that fear is the, you know, the, the mother character defect of all the rest of them, it, you know, according to the 12 and 12. And um, yeah, I was, I was just afraid. Um, I didn't know this. I, and it was the way I was as a kid. And um, I tried to I think to alleviate the fear, I, I would, would isolate myself, um, get into reading. Uh, food was my first turn to, to kind of ease what was going on. Um, I, I was, uh, was overweight because of that. I would steal cookies, you know, I, I knew where to get the cookies and the, and the stuff to eat. Um, and I, I was, you know, did well in school. And so um, I, I took some bullying as a kid for being fat and teacher's pet. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, just an interesting perspective. I, I had a decent childhood. My, um, my family tree is um, full of alcoholics. And so, um, the disease of alcoholism permeated the family dynamics, um, drinking or not. When I hit puberty, I decided that my solution was that I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be uh, popular, that that was going, you know, I don't know if I knew I was afraid or what, but I thought I want, I'm, if I'm popular. And so I set out to be popular. And that's what I did. If you um, look at my annuals from high school, you will think, oh, yeah, she's, you know, she achieved her goal. But I kept my fear of people, uh, kept people, you know, I kept people at arm's length. I had a, um, from the ninth grade until uh, I started drinking, I had a, a boyfriend and um, he was kind of my shield. You know, I uh, could pretend like I could be someplace that popular, you know, the party or whatever. And um, then I would be with, you know, him and uh, I could look, look like I was a part of it, but not really be a participant. Um, there's a speaker here in, uh, the Cincinnati area that uh, says it was like the holograms in Star Wars, you know, where I'm projecting and the, the, I, the book, I think, talks you know, about this and the, you know, leading the double life. I projected who I wanted everyone to see and kept me kind of closed off. Um, 
I had friends. Uh, I, I God has blessed me with friends all along, but oh my gosh, it was just. It was a lonely existence and I did not know what was wrong. When I was 17, I, um, I started drinking. Um, I had broken up with my boyfriend. I was going to a party. Um, if we were in my hometown, I could drive you there right at the moment. Um, <laughs> and um, to where that party was. And I started drinking that night and I did not know that I was afraid because I was going to this party without my shield, you know, to shield me from other people. And boy, but I met my next boyfriend, Al K. Hall. Oh my gosh. We were to um, go steady for, for about 14 years or so. And, um, and you know, it wasn't long after that, that um, I was, uh, smoking pot. One long after that, I was taking pills. Um, I just loved being stoned and out of my mind. Um, uh, I, I quit a lot and put aside a lot of things that I had previously had previously been important in my life because I wanted to drink, and so that's what I did. Um, uh, that fall. Um, I went off to school, a big shout out to my parents, because really I did not want to go to college, but, you know, they were people who came from abject poverty and knew that education had been their ticket out of poverty. And um, that, you know, they talked about college from the get. And um, so I go off to a large uh, public research university. Now, when I when I arrived there, I don't think it's that way nearly now. The ratio of men to women was five to one. And uh, also the state in which I was living had didn't, they had allowed 18 year olds full drinking rights. I mean, you could go in the, you know, none of this three, two beer business, you could go in and order drinks. And um, so, wow, I, you know, it's like, that, what more could one ask for? I did not do particularly well scholastically my first quarter there because of the aforementioned reasons. Um, but um, when I, I, when my dad, my mom and dad got the letter that said, if you know, you can't come, you, know, you got one more quarter to straighten yourself up or you will be asked not to return to the university, I did manage to, um, to straighten up and put that willpower to work. And I did well scholastically. I again was doing a little, um, I was again doing that um, dual life. You know, I had my one life where I had um, some friends and it looked like I was a, you know, somewhat of a serious, you know, a serious student and the like. And then I had my party friends, uh, I don't know, where I really just drank a lot. I had a, I had a, a boyfriend for my, for that, but I was, I was a bad, bad girlfriend. I just, I was, I, because I was drunk, you know, you'd come to pick me up and I may be sober. I may be drunk. I may have started drinking someplace and wouldn't be there. 
And so we, we broke up often just because I was, like I said, not a good girlfriend. And that carried on until I was finished with drinking. Um, I graduated college and got a job and there were a lot of young people uh, and oh my gosh, I, <laughs> we would go to happy hour and, um, you know, I didn't have the, in, when, when happy hour was over, these people would go home and I did not, um, I didn't know that I had started the phenomenon of craze craving and I was, uh, I stayed to fin, you know, I'd stay at the bar to finish the job or buy something to go home um, and finish the job. Um, in this period of time, I, uh, I had a, a, a love affair that I thought was serious, but I was completely delusional about that. And um, my mother was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And, um, you know, when I look back on my I, I know in the 12 or 12, it says it's from twisted relationships that most of us has, have suffered. And I, that is true. I, I was so self-absorbed. It was hard for me to be a good friend or the like. And I, anyway, I did have friends who gathered me up, wanted me to go to um, a counselor because they apparently had some concern about me. And I, wanted to, um, I, get, I went and this, this counselor wanted me to um, take some medication and it required me to get that from my, from my doctor. So I went to my doctor and um, I, am, I am before, I'm not yet 30. And uh, the doctor called me back to his office. He said, I'm concerned about your um, liver enzymes. And um, I thought, I said, oh, okay. And he examined me. He said, you know, you have an enlarged liver and this is, you know, I don't know what's going on. And um, so I just didn't go back to the doctor and uh, I didn't take medication because I, you weren't, anyway, it didn't all, it, I just went, it was a mess. So I was not yet 30 because my, um, my mother died about a month after I had turned 30. And um, about a year after that, I decided that what I needed was a change of venue. And <laughs> I had two friends that lived in the Cincinnati area and one said she could get me a job. So I packed up, packed up and moved to Cincinnati. And she got me a job. And, you know, in my mind, everything's going to be different, you know, but that has no effect on alcoholism, you know, does not change. I was still drunk, Colleen. Um, <clears throat> I, I uh, broke a bone in my ankle in a drunken incident and um, decided that I needed to, I had to bear some weight on it. And I decided I needed to lose weight. I had discovered this um, cream ale called Little Kings. And at the time, they sold Little Kings in the two liter bottle. And I've gone through all the, the paragraph that talks about here are the methods we have tried. 
And uh, one of the lies I would believe regularly is you can't be an alcoholic if, and I might've been going through that. You can't be an alcoholic if you just drink beer. And I would, I didn't drink every night. I drank many nights and I would go through one of those two liter bottles of um, little Kings. And sometimes I'd have to stagger to the little store and get another bottle. And, um, so at this, I decided that I was going to quit drinking Little Kings, quit drinking because <clears throat> I figured out that Little Kings had a plenty of calories. So I'm going to lose weight. And um, <laughs> I don't know how long it was before I drank again, but it was Tony Perez day at um, the Reds and Tony got a car and that's about all I remember. And then I, um, <clears throat> I came out of a blackout in this, um, a bar in this neighborhood called Mount Adams. And I peeked in at city view into reality briefly. And then I woke up on the floor of my bathroom floor of my apartment always a handy place to pass out because what you need is right there and the floor is cool to your face. I had monstrous hangovers. Uh, didn't even slow me down, but I had monstrous hangovers. And this just started my, started another bout of really bad self-pity. <laughs> One of my favorite character defects, and um, I decided, you know, you the only solution is to kill yourself. And I'd get uh, there's was a, a humorist who wrote for the Atlanta Constitution named Louis Grizzard, and he talked about getting getting drunk and and having black cord fever. In other words, you would just call people long distance or whatever. And and I would have no recollection until I'd get the phone bill back when you actually get the phone bill of with who you called long distance. And uh, around uh, Christmas of that year, I went to visit my father, Christmas of 1986, around in that area. And um, one of my drinking buddies had gotten sober. His name is Donnie. And Donnie brought the message of Alcoholics Anonymous to me. He was my Ebby Thatcher. And um, he had a big book in his car. And he said, you need to get one of these. I said, okay. And he said, and you need to um, go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I said, okay. And you need to get a sponsor. And I said, I didn't know what, I didn't know what one, what a sponsor was, but I want, you know, I, I'm not one to ask questions. I will, because you will, I will, I'm better, but I was always afraid that you'd think I was stupid and did not know. <clears throat> and now I find out the more, if I can ask some questions, I know God, God will answer them if I ask the question. So um, I, I had, God willing, my last drunk that night. I don't know exactly what day it was. The next day I flew back to Cincinnati, really hungover. Um, one in one of the days in between, I called my um, 
I called Alcoholics Anonymous and they wanted to send someone over. And I'm like, mm, do not send someone over. So they <clears throat> sent me to uh, a clubhouse here in, in Cincinnati that's in a beautiful historic home. And um, at 405 Oak Street. So they sent me to 405 Oak Street and I walk in and this guy shakes my hand, introduces me to this woman who takes me upstairs to the 530 Big Book meeting. And I thought that was the meeting. And we come downstairs and she wants to, um, she wants to give me a big book and, um, and buy me a big book. And I'm like, with all the disdain I could muster, I said, I have money. Oh my, I can't believe that you would, you know. So she, um, I buy a big book, hardback, you know, cause I didn't want you to think I couldn't afford a hardback. And um, I was not sleeping and I took it home that night and I read the entire book and I felt like, okay, I can check that off my list of things to do. I don't know. I know people go, oh, I found myself in that. Not, I, I read it so fast and so drunk, I didn't know. Um, I did find I, I'm a, a quick study. I realized there were more meetings in this old house and that was great because I could, um, I didn't have to go home. I could go to the 530 big book meeting, which I thought was the meeting. I could stay and there was an 830 speaker and I met my sponsor at, um, at there. She was clean and well-dressed, two things I had neglected for some time and wanted to be again. I don't, and she told me, yes, I'd, she'd be my sponsor. And I did not know that she actually had spiritually what I really needed. Uh, she said, get a, get a piece of paper. And so she gave me a list of things to do, which I thought was quite lame. Um, but I thought you got kicked out of AA if you didn't do them. So I did them. I started doing them. I wasn't perfect. I mean, I was kind of snarky, like, oh, you know, if I go to the 530 Big Book meeting, they'll read the book. I got the gift of the book being read to me and people telling me their experiences. So I go to the 530 Big Book, got my meeting done. If I saw her, I could check that off. And we read the book so I could check off three things on my list to do right there. Um, I started getting lessons right away. Uh, my sponsor got me active in the steps right away. And I started getting some lessons of things that I did not, I did not know. They've, they've kind of sunk in as the day, as the years have gone by. One was that, um, <clears throat> you know, my um, sponsor asked, asked me one day, I was complaining about something. And she said, oh, well, how are you like that? And I was like, looked back like, well, I'm not like that. And, <laughs> and that started that lesson, you know, to looking at the inventory from a different perspective, from being able to have, to be able to go, you know, I've done that. Um, I like what a one speaker says. You know, if I compare quantity, the number of times I've done something, or, or quality, the intensity that I've done something, 
I'll always come out ahead. But if I compare what the underlying character defect is one-on-one, I've done it. And I may have done it more times or more intensely than you or less. It doesn't matter. I've done it. I'm just as guilty. Um, I had, I did get a home group. Oh my gosh, this, <laughs> it, it was a long meeting. Now I didn't have a life, so it was great with me. And it was um, two, oh, you know, it was lots of wise old timers there. I mean, wise. And especially there were two, there was Big Paul and Gigantic Paul. And um, one day I was whining about, the, you know, arguing with my father. And one of them said, you know, girly, there's no argument if you just shut up. And it was one of those like, what? And <laughs> that, that slow learning over the years, one shutting up about argument, because I know in the 12 and 12, the, the actions we take when we really just want to win a useful, useless argument, just learning to shut up. And the lesson over the last few years has been just learning to shut up in so many occasions, not, not drawing attention to myself, not needing to tell people that they are wrong about most, you know, wrong about most things. Um, just that lesson to learn to shut up. It is, it's brought more peace into my life. Um, I, I was at the five early in on in the 530 big book meeting and oh my gosh, there was one guy that said, it was the first drink that gets you drunk. And I thought, well, that's about the stupidest thing I think I've ever heard. And then he said, you know, if you don't take the first drink, you don't have to take the second. And I was like, well, wow, this guy really is genius. You know, all those times when you've walked, when I've walked around and heard things, um, I really, I didn't want to sponsor people. I really didn't. I'm like, no, that looks like a hassle. And my sponsor was very active in sponsorship. And um, so she, you know, and she'd make you stand up at the meetings and shake hands. And she'd go, and Colleen would just love to give you her number. And this was back when you had to write it down. And so I would... Um, give people my number and I would wonder you know like one day I'm being a smart ass and I said well you know no one ever calls me and she said well why do you think that is I said I don't know and she said sure you do and she, she's got that look where it's like mm, looking straight into your soul and I said well maybe they know I don't want them to and she said well you might be right and off we went I don't know where we was going and she <laughs> and Oh my gosh, that, that taught me as, or I started that lesson that a little bit of honesty, a little bit of willingness goes a long way. People started calling and I started my, that um, journey on sponsorship, which was God's catalyst to truly have not outgrown this, but God's catalyst to get me to outgrow my fear of people and to be vulnerable because I had to. I mean, if when you're talking about sharing inventories, I, I needed to be 
vulnerable and to lay bare. And um, yeah, my my longest sponsee that has stayed active and spon- actively sponsored. I have a couple who are not active in AA. You know, it's like I have a sponsor today, and this sponsor knows I'm I'm a sponsee because I call and am active. Um, is she's 28. My, my most active, you know, the sponsee that stayed around and been active and, um, wow, what a difference that made in my life. I didn't, I didn't know how much I needed to outgrow that fear. Right after my second AA birthday, uh, my dad was killed in a car wreck and I was quite, um, taken aback with that. And, uh, you know, grief, grief's hard, grief's hard. And I had, um, I don't know, one, you know, probably about three months after he died, I had was just doing some inventory and looking at some grief. And I realized that my dad had been my ace in the hole. Um, you know, if I went back to drinking, I, uh, I could go live with dear old dad. And I did not know that I had any lurking notion. I thought that, I, you know, maybe it, 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 there's been several times during my sobriety when I've gone, oh, you know, oh my gosh, you know, you really are an alcoholic, you know. And um, I realized that I had to make a choice. God was either everything or, or nothing and what was my choice to be. And obviously, if I'm talking today, I picked, you know, I picked to stay with Alcoholics Anonymous that it really worked. One of my early experiences, too, is I um, met a woman named Melinda at the 530 Big Book, and she lived fairly near me. And um, one Sunday after the 1230 meeting at the time, we were downstairs in um, at the clubhouse 405 Oak Street and Melinda looked at me and she says you know you and you and me were not like these people and I said to my I don't know if I said it out loud or if I said it you know I don't know but it translated down to my inner to, to from my head to my heart that yes I was like these people that I was a part of it Wow, you know, and um, I got to stay and she didn't, she didn't. Um, I'm glad that I was able to be a part of Alcoholics Anonymous and stick with it. I've not left. I've had, geez, I've gone through, and when I started sponsoring, I went through a period of, you know, ye who dies with the most sponsees wins. And, um, and and doing sponsorship like boot camp. And what talk kind I have sponsees who do not do Alcoholics Anonymous like like I do. And they are they appear to be 
and through our conversations, they appear to be happy, satisfied people. And I just thought, well, you know, I have, I have a bad case of alcoholism. And it, although it's been a long time since I've had, you know, I've physically taken a drink, I, I still, and I don't mean that like I should be better. I have, I have a thinking problem and it's corrected by prayer, meditation, and being with you guys and listening to what you have to say, because it'll be a conversation. I'm sitting just being, you know, I've, I've had some vexation and um, I'm listening to the two of you talk in a meeting, just have a conversation or share with your, with the topic. And it won't be anything. You won't be talking about anything that's like the, my vexation. And I'll get the answer. You know, you'll say something and I'll go, well, thank you for that answer. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I had, I had a long, long time of twisted relationships because I wanted something and was trying to make it happen. And in 1995, I, after a series of, of, of self-imposed crises, I guess, um, I said, okay, I surrender. And um, I went a long time without dating at all. And that, you know, that level of surrender really, really helped me because I got, a, I got very comfortable with being okay with Colleen. And that's a, you know, that area, you know, we, being able to sit with myself and be at peace. And um, when I started dating again, I was, I was improved and it wasn't, it just, God did the improvement. I don't know. Uh, the people I sponsor are, are real, you know, these, these women have a lot. They had a lot of things in their life that I go, I would have gone to bed, pulled the covers over my head and not gotten out. Um, the death of children, family, you know, family addictions, spousal addictions, loss of jobs. And they, they have come through with, you know, holding God's hand. And that really, <laughs> you know, makes me want to, makes me want to cry. And I'm so blessed to have them in my life. Um, as I said, my, Home group is after the Stacy. Uh, when she asked me, I told she wanted to know what my home group was. My home group is called After the Shipwreck. We meet on Monday nights, and uh, what was read from there is a solution. We read each week at at my home group. Um, 
I mean, if you want a commitment there, you kind of have you have to put your name in a hat for they for people to, and they draw it out at our group conscience. Uh, I've tried to keep commitments in meetings in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you don't get any better than servant, at least my observation. I know I have a few more minutes, but I think I'm finished. I don't have anything else to say. That was Colleen Kay from her home group after the shipwreck in Fort Thomas, Kentucky. We thank you for being a speaker on Two Sober Chicks. We hope you join Julie and I on our regular podcast. Have a great 24.